Right. All right. I think you would be just content to do that for the next uh, however long and just uh, forgo this, but uh, anyway. Glad you're here. You know, uh, last week it was announced that Steve Pauls is going to be uh, delivering the message this morning. And uh, as Mike mentioned, uh, Janet, his wife's uh, father, passed away. And so they are in California uh, working through that and being with family. So uh, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but he will, uh, he will return and he will deliver his message. Um, he uh, introduced um, the next few weeks. We've got a little series that uh, we're going to do. And so uh, Mike Weber's got uh, next week, and then Steve's going to return the week after. You know... Um, in college, I spent a lot of time in a place called the bullpen, and what that is, is that's kind of at a baseball field, sorry Stephanie, at a baseball field, this is out, uh, way out in the outfield there, and you just, you know, all the pitchers that aren't doing anything else, uh, just wasting time, they're out there waiting for their opportunity to come in and pitch, and so uh, I spent a lot of time out there, and uh, when the, the manager walks to the pitcher's mound and is, is done, he takes the ball from the pitcher that's in the game, and then uh, he gives a signal. He either goes like this if he wants the right-hander you know, to come in who's warming up down there, or he goes like this if he wants the left-hander who's uh, warming up down there, and uh, then they come into the game. And so this morning, we got the right-hander. So, uh, uh, you know... My job in college was to come in and throw strikes. That was the deal. Just throw strikes, just rear back and throw. And I wasn't all that good at it. And so I had to rely on an incredible defense behind me that uh, made me look okay. You know? And uh, that's really what all this morning is. Is I'm just going to try and throw some strikes and rely on the Holy Spirit to, uh, to hopefully do something with it and, and make something pretty good out of this. So... Anyway, um, it's great to be here. You know, happy Memorial Day and uh, happy summer. How about that? Unbelievable. We, it isn't over yet, so don't, you know, we're, we're still going strong. Um, but, you know, as, as Memorial Day uh, approaching, you know, tomorrow, and as we, as we think about um, through the years, about 1.3 million have given their lives for our nation and for the freedoms that we enjoy defending our nation, and, uh, and we just want to remember them. And, uh, and Steve Galvin just got back uh, from, from serving uh, overseas, and, and presently we have, we have three. Uh, Stephanie, uh, Stephanie Parisi, Paul's Parisi, uh, she is uh, in Afghanistan. Mike Ioso is also in Afghanistan serving. And then uh, Joseph Lehman, I'm sorry, Stephanie's in Iraq. But uh, Mike and uh, Joseph Lehman are serving in Afghanistan. And we just really want to remember them and, and remember their families. And uh, I hope that uh, the rest of this weekend you'll take some time with your family just to remember and to really appreciate what we have been given uh, by life in this country. But with this being Memorial Day weekend, it's, you know, it's an interesting time and, and an appropriate time, I think, to start a study on a man who was intimately involved in trying to get rid of a tyrant. He, uh, he was involved in those military actions, and, uh, and he saw it as, as something that God had, had kind of placed him in that position to do. It's even more interesting, though, that this man was a pastor, and 
And not just a pastor, but a pastor that was solely devoted to honoring God with his life. He was sold out to his Savior, Jesus Christ, and he challenged the believers of his day to be sold out as well. And through his writings, believers today are still challenged and impact incredibly. And uh, we're going to share a few of those this morning. But how intriguing and how amazing it is that even though he was a writer, even though he was a, a pastor, even though he's a theologian, he also paid the ultimate price for his faith. And he was a martyr for his faith. And, uh, and he was killed. And, I, and so I think it's, a, it's an appropriate day to start a series looking at Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, we're going to take the next few weeks and just share a little bit about uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm just going to give you a few minutes of introduction to who he is. You might not be familiar with him. You, you may be. But, uh, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer was born in Breslau, eastern Germany, okay? what uh, at one time was East Germany. He had a twin sister, Sabine, and uh, he moved to Berlin when he was six years old. His father, Karl Bonhoeffer, was a professor and he took the chair of psychology and neurology at the University of Berlin, which at that point in time was uh, one of the highest regarded positions in all of Germany. And uh, it is interesting that because of his position there at the University of Berlin, uh, a lot of the uh, influences of Freud and Jung's psychoanalysis theories and some of those things, you might be familiar with some of those, and a little of those are they're out there in my opinion, but, but because of his influence... Um, they, uh, they really hindered a lot of the adaption of, the, of those uh, philosophies there. At 16, uh, Dietrich was adamant about studying theology. At 17, he went to the university. At 21, he defended his doctrinal thesis. That's, uh, that's impressive for 21-year-olds, huh? And, you know, there's a story of, of Dietrich. He was sitting in a seminar of Karl Barth, who's a pretty famous theologian. And as he was sitting there, there was, there was a discussion going on. And he kind of quietly, just uh, almost to himself, uttered a quote from Martin Luther. And, uh, you know, I think this quote really gets to kind of the heart of, of his convictions uh, regarding the church of that day. He said this. He said, the cures of a godless man, I'm sorry, yes, the cures of a godless man can sound more pleasant. Let me say it one more time, sorry. The curses, this makes much more sense, I'm sorry. I can read, I promise. Just kidding. The curses of a godless man can sound more pleasant in God's ears than the hallelujah of the pious. And uh, I want to read that one more time and try and do it smoothly. The curses of a godless man can sound more pleasant in God's ears than the hallelujahs of the pious. It was from Martin Luther, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer thought that that was very appropriate for his, his time as well, and I think it's appropriate for ours. Well, a delighted Barth said, who said that? Was looking around, and, and uh, he raised his hand, and that was the start of a, of a relationship where they admired each other and, and enjoyed each other's company. Much of uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theological views were developed as he studied and came through and lectured through um, the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And uh, if you're familiar with that, it's just a, a huge 
passage on how we are to live our lives and how we are to, to look at those around us and uh, our, our society. In 1928, at 22, he was the vicar in Barcelona and then moved back to Berlin. He was on the faculty at Union Theological Seminary in New York for one year in 1930. And while in New York, uh, Union Theological Seminary, not the most conservative uh, institution in the world, but while he was there, he had, he had quite the impact. And, and it was there that he became fascinated by and learned an appreciation for the Negro spirituals. And he took those back with him and the words to those. And later, when Christians were being persecuted in Germany, he introduced those songs and the words of those songs amongst his fellow believers. And it really meant a lot to them who were going through oppression and really struggling during that time. And so I thought that was, that was very interesting. As a professor of theology at the University of Berlin, in 1933, he delivered a radio address. And he really took the German people, the German public, to task for its craving of a leader that would become a misleader that would become an idol, and even would become a god. And that is the Fuhrer, Adolf Hitler, as as I'm sure you're familiar. Um, That is what happened. Well, the broadcast was cut off before he finished. Uh, Shocking there, I know. And a close friend and assistant of Bonhoeffer, Eberhard Bethledge, said of him, Dietrich did not believe that everyone must act as he did, But from where he was standing, he could see no possibility of retreat into any sinless, righteous, pious refuge. The sin of respectable people reveals itself in the flight from responsibility. Let me read that part again. The sin of respectable people reveals itself in the flight from responsibility. And he saw that sin falling upon him, and he took his stand. And so he was, was very challenged in that way. A fundamental ethical view of Bonhoeffer was that the Christian must accept responsibility in a, um, of being a citizen of the world that God has placed them in. Christians must accept responsibility in the world that God has placed them in. He ran an underground seminary. And uh, it was found out, and it was closed. And he also was intimately involved in a failed attempt to assassinate Adolf Hitler. This decision is one that he agonized over, agonized, struggled with, wrestled with, and yet he saw no other option for him uh, but to become involved in in this plot. His friends made it possible for him to leave Germany. However, he felt that he could not have any role in the rebuilding of Germany after the war if he was not willing to suffer with the church and its people through these trials. And so he chose to stay, understanding what was a very real possibility for his future. April 5th, 1943, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, along with his sister and brother-in-law, were arrested and held in a military prison. The guards took kindly to him and preserved his writings. And secretly, they brought him into the cells of prisoners that were just despondent and could not not, uh, have comfort. And they brought them into the cells so that he would 
be able to give comfort. He would be able to encourage them. And they even uh, started a secret courier service to the outside so he could uh, have letters and, and messages brought back and forth. Well, in uh, February of 1945, the Gestapo prison that he was being held in in Berlin was destroyed by bombing raids. And so Bonhoeffer was transferred to Buchenwald concentration camp and later to a concentration camp at Flossenburg. April 9, 1945, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, held, was led to the gallows to be hanged by special order of Heinrich Himmler. A few days later, Flossenburg was liberated by the Allied troops. Amazing. There's a quote that I want to read to you from an English officer that was being held with him at Flossenburg and was actually there with him on the Sunday before he died, day before he died, and talks a little bit about um, what he was doing, who he was, and what he said. As soon as I can find it, there it is. Bonhoeffer always seemed to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of a few very persons I have ever met for whom God was real and always near. On Sunday, April 8, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer conducted a little service of worship and spoke to us in a way that went to the heart of all of us. He found just the right words to express the spirit of our imprisonment, the thoughts and resolutions it had brought us. He had hardly ended his last prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered. They said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. That had only one meaning for all prisoners, the gallows. We said goodbye to him. He took me aside. This is the end, but for me it is the beginning of life. The next day he was hanged at Flossenburg. The text on which he spoke on that last day was, With his stripes we are healed. Amazing, huh? I would like to share with you just three points that I have learned from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Just three things that he has impacted me with from his writings. And I hope that they will impact you as well. They have challenged me and helped shape my thinking of God's Word and, and how to, to live with, with His people. So here we go. First, costly grace. The term costly grace is one that paints a very vivid picture of what Christ has done for us. Grace is costly because it cost Jesus Christ everything. It is costly because for humankind to have this grace, it costs us everything. As we read in uh, Colossians chapter 3, let me read again Colossians 3, 1 through 3. It says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, this preaching stuff 
and studying for teaching. I teach you know, kids through the week all the time, several times a week, and so I'm, I'm studying. But as you're going through and as you're, if you're going to teach and if you're going to preach, you first have to look at and see what it is saying, and it's like looking in the mirror and seeing, oh, wow. So the questions that I ask you are questions that I've asked myself and are things where I have had to step back and say, ooh, that's a little uncomfortable. That's kind of convicting. And so it is with that that I ask you, have you really died to yourself? Have you put off those things of you and taken up for Christ? That is what I have to ask myself, and that is what we need to ask ourselves continually. Colossians 3, 4, the next verse says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. You know, we cannot have the benefits of appearing with Christ in glory unless we are united with His sufferings by taking up our own cross here on earth. That is the only way it happens. We as people, often, we want the benefits without taking the cost. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You cannot have the benefits of appearing with Christ in glory if you aren't willing to accept the cross, to accept His sufferings here on earth. Well, the opposite of this costly grace is cheap grace, right? Makes sense? Cheap grace was a term that uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer used in probably his most famous book. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And uh, it is not a quick read. And it is not one that you will read through. And if you have any, any uh, sense at all, it will impact you. It is huge. In The Cost of Discipleship, he introduced the term cheap grace. And cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. That's what he said. That was his description of cheap grace. It is just saying, I want the benefits from you, Christ, but I'm not, I'm, the other stuff I'm not too sure about, so I'm sorry. We want things on our terms. And you know, he saw this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer saw this as a rampant view in the church in his day. You know what, I don't, I don't think we're far from that now. I think there are many around us who want the benefits without be willing to accept the cost. And so, people are looking for those benefits of relationship with Christ. But without Christ, it does not work that way. You cannot have a relationship with Jesus Christ without accepting the cost. The second lesson I learned, life together in the Christian community. I was a sophomore in high school, and I was working at a camp in northern Minnesota. Uh, up in the Boundary Waters Canoe area. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's a beautiful spot. Um, and uh, 
So I was working at a camp up there. I'd, I'd been there for several years um, as camper and then a counselor and then a, then a guide and, and uh, so a lot of different things. But my sophomore year, we went through a, a book uh, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's called Life Together. Looks like it's uh, been around a while, doesn't it? Um, and this book, Life Together, uh, I, I was impacted greatly through this time. Number one, I was impacted because I was a sophomore in high school and I was going through a book and interacting with college and post-college people. So I was feeling, oh, this is pretty good. I probably sounded like a blubbering idiot, but, you know, that's beside the point. I was, I was excited about this. And so I was impacted with that. But, but the other thing, the thing that probably impacted me most was challenged how we are to live as Christians together. How we are to do this thing that we have called to. Christ called us to community, to living together. So how does this work? You know, through the years, some have, have seen this as we're going to get our Christian commune and we're just going to stake it out there and we'll be together and we'll just live this way and, and that's the way it is, not really have an impact in the, in the world. And that's, that's not what Christ had in mind. That's not the way he designed it to be. He designed us to be in the world but not of the world. I mean, Jesus himself spent a lot of time you know, alone by himself. And, and as a matter of fact, when, uh, when he was on the cross, he was deserted. He was by himself. So it's not separating ourselves as a little commune, but we are to live with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a particular way. We have already read that we are to put to death as, as ones that belong to Jesus ourselves. But how are we to live? Colossians 3, 12 through 15 talks a little bit about this. Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, in, uh, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Wow. I don't know about you, but as I read that, it's, hmm. I have some things that uh, come to mind about myself as I read that. But the question is, do you live a life of love and do you live a life of forgiveness? Is that a normal practice as to how you live? Is that what people would say when they see you? Are you truly thankful for what God has given you? You know, as we look at this, it's, it's amazing. We... We are often quick to say, you know, as soon as they deserve to be forgiven, then I will forgive them. Or, but you don't know how deeply I've been hurt. I've been hurt, and so I didn't hear a lot of qualifiers. We are to be quick to forgive. We are to love each other. And we are to be thankful for where we've been given. 
And I obviously don't know every one of your personal situations, but i got to believe that when we are honest with ourselves, we have an awful lot to be thankful for. If nothing else, you're surrounded by people that can encourage you and can support you in your relationship with the Lord. But we have so much to be thankful for. Why waste our time sticking with the the petty arguments? Why demanding our rights? Be about forgiveness. Be the first to forgive. Seek forgiveness. Seek love to those around you. Seek kindness. Are you kind? Do people see that you, you treat others around you with kindness? You know, and quite frankly, I know in my situation, those that we love most are the ones we are kind to the least. We need to, we need to do a better job. We need to seek Christ. We need to lay down our cross. It's not about us. It's not about my rights. It's not about me defending where I should be. It's about me living my life in forgiveness and love and thankfulness to Christ for who He is and what He has done for us. That is how we are to live. That is how we are supposed to live our lives. Well, thirdly, making our days count. Bonhoeffer speaks as to how we are to make the most of the days that we have. And what an example he was. He made the most of the days he had. He knew that staying in Germany would probably, uh, probably end up in, in uh, his being killed, or at least imprisoned. He knew, was very aware of the sacrifices that he was going to make, but he made those because it was the right thing to do, and that's what God had laid upon his heart. And so he did that. How wise are you and I with the days that we have been given? I was very challenged with this quote, again, from from the book Life Together. It said this, The prayer of the morning will determine the day. Wasted time, which we are ashamed of, temptations that beset us, weakness and listlessness in our work, disorder and indiscipline in our thinking and our relations with other people, very frequently have their cause in neglect of the morning prayer. Wow. Morning prayer. Starting the day with the Lord in prayer. I mean, is this difficult? Yeah? Spending time in God's Word in the morning. First thing in the morning. Is that tough? You know, it's not like He's asking us to do something that's so incredibly technical that we just can't pull it off. Yet, to consistently start our day with the Lord, it's hard. At least it's, it's been hard for me. I don't know about you, but it's been hard for me. But how much more of a difference and how amazing is your day changed when you start with the Lord? When you start time in prayer, when you start time in His Word, it is, it is amazing how your answers are softer, how your patience is greater, how your love for others and your, your perception and your, your uh, listening to the Holy Spirit is so much more in tune than you've actually taken the time with the Lord in the morning. It, 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 that's, that's the way it is. 
That's the way it has been with me. And so we need to understand. Bonhoeffer uses this quote to drive home the importance of prayer with our Savior, time in His Word, and to use that and develop that if we are going to be living a life that is honoring and pleasing to Him. That's what we need to be about. We need to be about spending time with Him. We just absolutely do. We cannot afford to start a day without Him. And so, convicting to me. Wow. Yes, I know. And so my challenge for you and for me is, we're all at different spots in our lives, but make a decision today that you are going to change one aspect of your life to spend more time in prayer, to spend more time in His Word, to spend more time with your Lord, and how are you going to do that? Don't just say, yes, I'm going to do it. How are you going to do that? Are you going to get up early? Are you going to cut out something? Are you going to say time in the Word before Facebook? Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to get personally. You know, what are you going to do? How are you going to do it? What is going to, what change are you going to make? It's convicting for me, and I hope that's convicting for you as well. Well, the next two verses is in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. They give us a charge of how to make the most of our days. And it says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I hope that you will take some time later on today to meditate on what that passage is telling us to do. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let, us, let it dwell in us richly. You know, making the most of our days, making our days count. Christ did not come a week ago Saturday. Okay? He didn't return. But, He is returning. He is coming again. And we need to live our lives as if He's coming on Saturday. If we're going to make our, our days count for the Lord, we need to have the mindset, He's coming, it's on Saturday, what can I do today for His kingdom? How can I live my life? I think that mindset will help us make the most of our days for the Lord. All right, I have, I have a few take-home points, just, just questions I've asked myself that I want you to ask yourself, and, uh, and so I hope these are beneficial for you. They were for me. The first one, do you practice laying down your wants and desires so as to be able to take up the cross of Christ? Do you practice laying down your wants and desires so that you are able to take up the cross of Christ. Are we more interested in our things, our stuff, our whatever it is, 
than we are taking up Christ's cross. Wow. Challenging. Challenging. The second one. Do you live a life of kindness towards those people God has placed in your life? Do you live a life of kindness towards those that God has placed in your life? This is people that we meet just on the street as we're walking down the street. Do, do, when you're walking down the street or you pass someone at your work or you spend a little time in a, in a store with someone, do they say, wow, they're, that's, wow, that's a, something about that person. Do you, are you kind to those that you live with, that occupy your domicile, that you hang out with, that God has called you to? Do, you, do people think of you as a kind person when they think of you? That, that's, that's really the question. Would my family, would my friends, would my acquaintances, would my co-workers say, this person is kind? It's what we're called to do. We're called to be kind to those that God has placed in our lives. And the third question, very related to it, are you consistent in forgiving others? Not because they deserve it, but because you have been forgiven much through Christ. Do you make it a consistent habit of forgiving others? Are you quick to forgive? Or do you hold on to those offenses? We're going to use this baby later. When I need a little ammo against you, then I'll be able to bring that thing out. Are you quick to forgive? As far as it depends on you, do you live at peace with all people? Is that how people see you? That is how we're called to live. And the last one. Are you in the practice of letting the Word of God dwell in you richly? Are you in the practice of letting the Word of God dwell in you richly? It is never too late to change a habit and to spend more time with the Lord in His Word and in prayer. Never too late. You aren't too old. You aren't too young. You're not too whatever. Fill in the blank. We can always spend more time with the Lord. And that is how we need to live our lives. We need to be seeking to spend more time with Him. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Time with Him in prayer. That is the only way that we can live our lives like Colossians chapter 3 talks about. Is if we are filled up with the Lord each and every day. We need to be about that. This was a challenging, challenging passage for me. Challenging thoughts from, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I hope it was challenging for you, but more importantly, I hope that, that you will be challenged and you will change. Pray with me if you would. Father, you are so good. We thank you so much. Thank you so much for the blessing of your word, for the blessing of your people. For the blessing that you want us to spend time with you each and every day, hourly, all the time, without ceasing, you want us to pray to you. And I pray, God, that that would be who we are as your sons and daughters. 
I thank you for each one here. I pray your blessings upon them and their families. We thank you for those that are serving our country overseas. And we pray, Father, that they would not just serve our country, but, Father, that you, in some way, shape, or form, would be glorified through the service of these men and women. They, may they impact others around them for your kingdom. And we pray, God, that you would just be pleased with our lives. Challenge us, convict us, help us to see ourselves the way you see us. We love you, Father, and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, thank you all. I hope that you have a great rest of the day, a great weekend, and uh, I hope that you honor the Lord in all things. We're dismissed.